Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm James Schofield, the writer of the stories in this podcast, Behind the Bottom Line. Over the years, I've written lots of short stories for different magazines about the funny, sad, and strange people and events I've experienced in business. In each episode, I read you my original story, and afterwards I tell you something about the real-life background which inspired it. Today's story is called New Perspectives. And while you're listening, I want you to imagine, if you were rich, what would you need in order to be happy? There once was a businessman, let's call him Thomas, and a very successful businessman he was too. He had lots of money in the bank, and he was always surrounded by beautiful people. A Rolls-Royce stood in his garage, and in Saint-Tropez, his yacht was always ready and waiting. Naturally, he had many charming companions to help him pass the time. But one day something awful happened. He went blind. He consulted all the best doctors. They put their heads together and tried everything they could think of, but none of them could find a cure. Thomas then announced that he would give a huge amount of money to anyone who could help him see again. But if the cure failed, the person would have to admit this on the internet and become a rubbish collector. Many people offered their services and Thomas tried the strangest things, but nothing helped. The town that Thomas lived in became extremely clean, but unfortunately he was not able to enjoy it. One day, however, a little old man with a long beard came to try his luck. I have magic spectacles of steel, silver and gold, but only I can put them on and take them off my customers, he said. The steel ones will let you see what everybody thinks of you. Would you like that? But of course, said Thomas, everybody thinks I'm wonderful. As you wish, said the little old man, and he put a pair of steel-rimmed spectacles on Thomas's nose. At first, nothing happened, and Thomas thought there would be another rubbish collector in town. But the next morning, Thomas woke up, and to his amazement, he could see. These glasses are magic, he called in excitement to the charming companion lying next to him in bed. Thomas, that's wonderful, she said. But then something strange happened. Over the charming companion's head, Thomas saw a thought bubble taking shape. What an idiot. He must be dreaming. He's talking nonsense. And those were the nicest things he saw above anybody's head all day. That evening, the charming companion was sent away, and the little old man returned. Take the steel glasses off my face, said Thomas. What about the silver ones? The silver glasses will show you the world and how you earn your money, said the little old man. Are you sure that's what you want? Why not? I have nothing to hide. I'm a respectable businessman. As you wish, said the little old man, and he put the silver-rimmed spectacles on Thomas's nose. The next morning, Thomas woke up, and once again he could see. He hurried to his computer to check how his shares were doing. Hmm, he said as he clicked on the figures. Consumer electronics are doing well. But then, to his horror, the figures faded away and were replaced by terrible scenes of civil war in Africa. That was where the rare metals used in consumer electronic devices were mined. He then looked at his property investments. 
he saw families being driven off the land he had bought in Brazil to make way for beef cattle. He switched to defence shares. There he could see prisoners being tortured by policemen using clever devices from his most profitable company. That evening, when the little old man returned, Thomas was not pleased. Take the silver glasses off my face, said Thomas. Let's try the gold ones. Hmm, said the little old man, scratching his head. The gold glasses aren't finished yet. They're supposed to show you what you need to see. I know what I need to see, shouted Thomas. Everything as it was before I went blind. Let me test them. As you wish, said the little old man, and he put them on Thomas's nose. I'll finish the final version for you by tomorrow evening. Thomas was a bit nervous when he woke up, but to his great joy, the gold glasses seemed nearly perfect. His new charming companion was extremely charming, and his investments were all numbers going upwards. The world was once again full of beautiful people, expensive cars, and elegant yachts. Give me the final version, said Thomas that evening. Then you can take your money and disappear. As you wish, said the little old man, and he put the new gold-rimmed spectacles on Thomas's nose. But, oh dear, the next morning when Thomas awoke, he could see not only what everybody thought of him, but also how he earned his money. It was awful, and because nobody could remove the glasses except the little old man, Thomas was stuck. As time went by, Thomas began to change. It made him unhappy to see all the bad things his money was doing, so he found good things to do with it instead. He became interested in what people really thought of him. He even found a pleasant companion who loved him for himself and not his money. One night, many years later, he was walking in his garden when the little old man jumped out from behind a bush. Well, said the little old man, do you like what you see these days? Thomas thought for a moment. Yes, he said. Yes, I do. But tell me, what was the difference between the two pairs of gold-rimmed glasses? The little old man giggled. The first pair was the demo version. New Perspectives was written for Business Spotlight in 2014. And I have to admit that the idea for the punchline came from an old joke uh, about Bill Gates. So Bill Gates dies and he goes into the afterlife and he's met by an angel. And Bill Gates is a little bit nervous and he says, oh, am I going to go to heaven or hell? And the angel says, oh, no, we don't have uh, we don't have heaven or hell. We have uh, different versions of the afterlife that you can choose. Uh, and everybody's free to choose kind of afterlife that they would like. And Bill Gates said, well, that sounds good. Uh, what possibilities are there? So the angel says, okay, let me show you. So he takes him to the first room and he opens the door. And in it, there are a load of people sitting on clouds and singing songs in choirs. And uh, the angel says, well, this is uh, one version. And uh, we find that, you know, a lot of um, uh, Protestants and, and gospel people like, like this kind of this kind of afterlife. And uh, Bill Gates says, oh, okay, well, yeah, thank you. Uh, what else have you got? Uh, and he goes to the next room. Angel opens the door. 
And in it, there's a load of people and they're whipping themselves and, and throwing themselves onto the floor and pulling their hair out and, and, and groaning. And, and Bill Gates says, oh, what kind of afterlife is this? And the angel says, well, you know, this is, this is for the, the people who feel, you know, maybe a little bit bad about their life. And, uh, and we find a lot of Catholics like this kind of, kind of afterlife. Bill Gates said, well, to be honest, I'm not particularly religious, you know, we've got another alternative. Uh, and the angel says, yeah, sure, sure, come along. And he opens the third door and looks inside and looks through the door. And uh, it's this fabulous golf course and there are people playing golf and uh, everybody's run, uh, walking around and the people who aren't playing golf seem to be you know, playing tennis at a t- tennis club. And it looks really nice and comfortable and people seem to be having a good time. Uh, and Bill Gates says, oh, that's, that looks that looks nice. I think I, I think I'd like that one. And the angel says, are you sure? Don't want the one on the clouds singing songs? Don't want the ones whipping yourself? Bill Gates, I don't think that's not really me. I think I'd like this one. And uh, Angel says, yep, okay, it's all yours. So Bill Gates steps inside and suddenly everything changes and there are demons there with forks and hellfire and volcanoes and it's horrible. And the angel is standing by the door and Bill Gates turns around in agony and says, Oi, what's going on here? This isn't all what you showed me. And the angel said, ah, sorry, that was the pilot version. Anyway, I stole the ending of this very good joke and transferred it onto my story. Um, what is a little bit different is, is that my story is a kind of morality story, really. A theme which I find keeps coming up in my stories is that of people seeing what they want to see. Um, and not what they should see. And I think this is particularly so with rich people, very often because their wealth actually shields them from seeing where their wealth comes from. Um, there's a nice quote from Balzac, which goes, behind every great fortune lies a great crime. And I think rich people can use their money in order to cocoon themselves from the reality uh, and how they earn their money. Money helps them to avoid examining topics like this. I mean, it's not just rich people. Um, we all do it too. But I think it's particularly marked in uh, wealthy people. Interestingly enough, though, the old truism that um, money can't buy you happiness actually seems to be true podcast which I listen to and I can recommend very strongly is called The Happiness Lab by Dr. Laurie Santos. And um, she investigates ways that people can make themselves happy. And one of the episodes, episode two in her show, is called The Unhappy Millionaire. And she interviews a, a, a coach uh, a therapist who um, specializes in the super rich. Um, he said it's because he doesn't judge them. If somebody comes to him with a problem about uh, where can they find parking space for their yacht, uh, he takes it just as seriously as any of the problems that a normal person like you or me might go to him with. And he says that when he tells people about the people that he's coaching, it's very rare that anybody has any sympathy for them because we all tend to think that if we were 
very, very wealthy, uh, we would be happy. And the only thing that stands in us and perfect happiness is, is lack of money. But he says that super rich people like this are very often extremely unhappy um, because for a start, they very often are racked with guilt about the fact that they don't feel happy. And the consequence of this is that they tend to start thinking, okay, yes, I've got 50 million, but if I had 500 million, then I really would be happy because then there would be absolutely no limits in what I could do in order to buy myself happiness. And then, of course, when they got 500 million, they say, yeah, but, you know, really, I need to be a billionaire in order to be really happy. So um, if they feel unhappy, they feel guilty about it because they f- think that they should be happy. Um, romantic relationships are very often difficult for them because they find it very, very difficult uh, to trust people because they tend to think, well, you know, why is this person interested in me? So then they have to get involved in all sorts of prenuptial um, arrangements. Um, and obviously, if you start a relationship based on a prenuptial arrangement, it doesn't look good for the future, does it? And it's not just their romantic partners, it's anybody else as well that they end up being suspicious about. And they find themselves constantly thinking, is this person just interested in me or for my money? Or is it because that they really like me? And the result can be that they don't trust anybody and so they end up being really quite lonely or only being able to hang out with other people who are just as rich as them. So if you want reassurance that money can't buy you happiness, I can strongly recommend uh, the Happiness Lab, Laurie Santos, The Unhappy Millionaire. Now, a super wealthy person who seems to have managed to avoid this trap of money actually making him miserable is a billionaire or ex-billionaire, should I say, called Chuck Feeney, who in something like 1990 was worth six billion dollars, six billion dollars. And he decided to give his money away and he set up a foundation um which was called the Atlantic Philanthropies. And this year, 2020, September 2020, he finally achieved his goal, which was to give all his money away uh, to charities and universities and uh, all sorts of other organizations. And uh, I find him uh, a really interesting guy. He grew up very poor um, and he basically uh, struck lucky he and a partner set up um, duty-free shops at the time when travel uh, expanded radically and uh, you know what it's, what it's like when you're in an airport you want to spend money because you're in this holiday mood and so um, these shops in the duty-free areas of airports around the world uh, made a lot of money for him um, but he just he decided that he you know he really didn't like it. Um, apparently, he tried a life of luxury for a time, but um, it didn't suit him. And his business manager had a great, great quote. Uh, let me just find it. He had nice places and nice things. He tried it on and it wasn't for him. He doesn't own a place, doesn't own a car. The stories of his frugality are true. He does have a $10 Casio watch and carry his papers in a plastic bag. That's him. That's what he felt comfortable with. And that's really who Chuck has been. So, yeah, 
um, amazing guy. I would love to try. I would love to try. I would love to have the opportunity uh, to give away billions to all sorts of charities and uh, good causes around the world. Unfortunately, I don't think it's likely to happen, but who knows? Let's see what happens with my podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Bottom Line. Please subscribe on Apple, Spotify or Google Podcast or whichever app you use so that as soon as the next episode is available, you'll get it. In the meantime, catch up on any episodes you've missed, tell your friends about the show, give it a rating and write a review on the podcast app. And you can write to me directly at james.rupert.scofield at gmail.com. Until the next episode of Behind the Bottom Line, this is James Schofield saying goodbye.